The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to go two for two after yet another cooler-than-expected inflation print. Former President Donald Trump launching his 2024 run for the White House, looking to make America great again, again. We will look at what it could mean for Wall Street, from trade wars to corporate culture. Apple reportedly looking to ease off its reliance on China as a key cog in its global supply chain, now eyeing a factory much closer, perhaps even at home. Plus, it could be the next shoe to drop in the wake of the FTX collapse and bankruptcy as U.S. officials weigh the extradition of Sam Bankman-Fried back to the United States. And later on... Taylor Swift proves to be too much for Live Nation's Ticketmaster and millions of now very frustrated fans. It's Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. You were watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Schuwin for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Tuesday. Actually, it's a Wednesday morning with U.S. stock equity futures. This, you can see here, mostly higher, modestly so. This is after all, of, of course, the major averages after yesterday's cooler than expected expected PPI print for October. The Nasdaq is coming off a more than 1% jump. And right now, the Dow Jones futures are implied higher by roughly 67 points. The S&P about 8 points and the Nasdaq up by about 23. Checking on the bond market right now, yields are still below that 4% mark for the benchmark 10-year note yield, which stands at 3.80%, and then the two-year note yield just about 4.37%. Now, in energy, we've got oil prices responding to a number of factors in yesterday's session. Currently, benchmark U.S., benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI prices, are just about $87.05, up about two-tenths of 1%. World benchmark Brent crude futures up about one-half of 1%, about 43 cents to roughly $94.29. In cryptocurrencies, still some weakness on the near to medium term, and it's carrying through again today. Bitcoin price is currently down half of 1% to 16716 and change. And Ether price is right now down just about almost 2%, $1,228.67. Now, around the world, Mostly red arrows in Asia overnight, and Europe is really just kind of getting its training day going. Let's turn now to Arabile Goumede. He was in our London newsroom with the early action in Europe and the wrap-up of Asia. Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Dom. So certainly that mixed picture coming out of Asia, then we have seen some flows out of there with Europe kind of following suit. Then the key question marks for the European trading, which has been around two hours or so so far today, 
is really around Poland, that missile that has hit Poland, unfortunately, causing some sense of political turmoil. Markets are in a little bit of a, a scare for now somewhat, asking them this, uh, the questions, asking themselves the questions as to what actually happens from here on. Clearly, that Russian invasion of Ukraine is beginning to spill over in other parts as well. Poland now feeling that impact with a few people dying there as well. So you're seeing that the European markets are in red territory for the most part with the FTSE 100 perhaps stepping out of sync with them. The IBEX in Spain perhaps the biggest loser as well. Then speaking of the FTSE 100, very interesting to note that we move on to the autumn statement or the budget, the medium-term fiscal plan that's set to come out of the United Kingdom tomorrow. I mean, we saw inflation in the UK hit its highest level since 1981 with CPI soaring 11.1% on the year in October. That's way above market forecasts. In a statement, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt said, quote, tough, but necessary decisions on tax and spending will be needed in tomorrow's autumn statement. We'll, of course, be continuing to follow that statement across the day as it all pulls out. For now, though, the sterling seemingly better than uh, it was yesterday. All right. Arabile Goumede in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Dom, good morning to you. Well, Amazon has reportedly begun laying off employees in its corporate and tech team's as CEO Andy Jassy looks to rein in cost, the company notifying workers yesterday in several divisions, including Alexa and its cloud gaming unit, Luna. That's according to employee posts on LinkedIn. Amazon is aiming to eliminate about 10,000 jobs, mostly in retail devices and human resources, though that number remains fluid. U.S. lawmakers are calling for more regulation in the crypto industry amid the collapse of FTX. Among those sounding the alarm are Senators Bob Menendez, Cynthia Loomis and Senate Banking Committee ranking member Pat Toomey, who says the ambivalence of some agencies has helped push crypto into foreign jurisdictions with weak or no regulatory regimes. And this coming as BlockFi reportedly weighs a bankruptcy filing of its own due to exposure to the now bankrupt FTX. And Tesla reporting two new fatal crashes tied to its advanced driver's assistance technology. This according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Now, both crashes, which are being reviewed by the agency, involve the company's Model 3 sedan. Regulators require all automakers to immediately report all crashes involving self-driving tech on public roads, Tom. Very scary. Silvana Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. To Washington, D.C. now, and former President Donald Trump making good on his promise for a special announcement as he looks to retake the White House in 2024. NBC's Bree Jackson now joins us with the latest there. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Dom. Yeah, former President Trump made it official, launching a third bid for the White House. Now, all of this came during an event at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. Uh, his 2024 White House bid comes just two years after he was ousted from the White House and a week or more than a week after many of his handpicked candidates uh, were were defeated in the midterm elections. Now, in a wide-ranging speech, the former president talked about his time when he was in office and what a presidency would look like if he won in 2024. Take a listen. I am running because I believe the world has not yet seen the true glory of what this nation can be. We have not reached that pinnacle, believe it or not. In fact, we can go very far. We're going to have to go far. First, we have to get out of this ditch. And once we're out, you'll see things that Nobody imagined for any country. 
Former President Trump has already filed the necessary paperwork uh, to make it official that he's running in 2024. Uh, but he does face a series of investigations. That's into his business practices, handling of classified documents and the attack on the U.S. Capitol. The former president says he will not let those investigations get in his way of running. Dom. So, so Bree, th- 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 I mean, this begs the question, right? I- I- if President Trump, former President Donald Trump is going to run again, this is the GOP's kind of poster child for, for, for a lot of the campaign over the last several years. What kind of competition could former President Trump face in 2024 from other Republicans? Is there a front runner there? Obviously, everyone's talking about current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. Ron DeSantis is a rising star in the GOP, and he is seen as a top contender uh, against former President Trump now that he is, in fact, running. Uh, Another name that's been brought up is former uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Um, And so those are just two names within the Republican Party that could uh, be stiffed competition for former President Trump. But it's also important to note uh, that uh, Trump could face a key matchup against uh, current President uh, Joe Biden. Mr. Biden has said uh, that he will make his plans or announce his plans about possibly running in the beginning of next year. All Dom. right. The drama is building there. Thanks very much, Bree Jackson. To a developing story now in the G20, leaders in Bali agreeing to a joint declaration condemning Russia's war in Ukraine and its global economic impact. The 16-page statement comes despite China's efforts to change key language late on Monday, attempts, by the way, that were blocked by other countries. Now, this is coming amid an ongoing investigation into two Russian-made rockets that crashed into Poland, killing two people. The Associated Press reporting preliminary assessments by U.S. officials suggest Ukraine fired the missiles as part of an air defense system. The report echoes comments from President Biden late last night when it said it's, quote, unlikely that the missiles were actually fired by Russia. Now, back to the markets and stocks looking to add on to yesterday's gains following the PPI report and further signals of easing inflation. The consumer is once again in focus today with retail sales figures out later on this morning and earnings from the likes of Target, Lowe's, TJX and others. It's a very big retail earnings part of the season. For more, let's bring in Kalei Kadinya Pua'a, CEO of Kadinya and Company, which is part of this year's CNBC Financial Advisor Top 100 list. Uh, Kalei, thank you very much for joining us now so far. I mean, we, we just reeled off a ton of macroeconomic, geopolitical and company specific microeconomic catalysts and variables in the market right now. A market, by the way, that's come back strongly in just the last couple of weeks. Do you feel like the market bottom is in? You know, we, we're cautiously optimistic at this point, um, watching a number of, of undercurrents. Um, one still remains with the Fed um, and interest rates. And in particular, a lot of people are watching the Fed funds rate. We're looking at real interest rates, which just which just ticked up in November's reading. Um, and, and so that's that's definitely a, a good sign that that the real interest rates are, are beginning to turn positive. Um, and, and that's critical for, for the bottom to be in place. Um, we're not fully calling a bottom, but we are beginning to become more optimistic at this point. So, Kalei, one of the reasons why we like featuring you and some of your peers on, on the CNBC Financial Advisor Top 100 list 
is because you have direct contact with many clients out there on the retail side of things, whether they're straight retail, high net worth, ultra high net worth. I wonder what the conversations are like right now. You mentioned interest rates. We mentioned the market bottom. Is there more are there more questions, I guess, coming from your clients about the equity side of things, the genesis of that or or more on the fixed income and interest rate side of things right now? I think in general, clients are just just really questioning where where the economy is going to go. So, you know, we're, we're receiving a lot of questions. Are we going into recession? If if so, is it is it going to be deep um, or is it going to be more of a soft landing? Um, we, we think that we're going to we're going to be able to somewhat sidestep recession given a couple of, of key factors. So some of the, you know, we're, we're here in Hawaii, so we're surrounded by the Pacific Ocean. And, and so I like to use water analogies. So we're, we're looking at three undercurrents. One I already mentioned with the Fed. The, the second is is looking at actually the dollar and and, and how it has recently fallen. Um, and I think there's that lends to some possible opportunities in, in some of the multinationals and maybe even in commodities. Um, our clients are, are asking us, you know, not only where are their opportunities, but again, where is their risk? And 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 we're pr- typically preservation of, of capital minded. And, and so trying to sidestep a risk and we still definitely see, a, as you've seen in, in the cryptocurrency markets, um, there's still tremendous amounts of risk in, in some pockets of the market. So sidestepping risk, looking at, for, at opportunities um, with really high quality companies that may have sold off um, kind of with the baby in the bathwater, if you will, um, in, the, in the recent market, market downturn. Um, and, and finally, the, the a really significant question for our clients is, is you know, when will we know the ultimate, you know, the ultimate results of the midterm elections? And and to us, policies matter. To our clients, policies matter. Leadership matters. Committee agendas in, in Washington matter. And they set the tone for regulatory action. Um, and and in, in this case, we're telling clients, you know, gridlock is, is somewhat beneficial um, for the markets because you, we can anticipate some of the downward pressure that we saw from, from regulatory action and, and possible tax rate increases being alleviated somewhat um, with, with the possibility of gridlock. Um, but then yet there's still volatility when we start talking about debt ceiling. So I guess bottom line for our clients and, and the concerns, what we're telling them is that there are opportunities, but we still need to be cautious and, and exercise, um, you know, real, real strong discipline. All right. Kalei Kadinia Pua'a out in Hawaii. I wish I was there with you right now. Thank you very much. Have a <laughs> great day. Come and visit. We will Thank come you, and Dominic. visit. All right. So be sure Aloha. to join the CNBC Financial Advisors Summit on December 6th, where we will discuss key themes of this market turmoil, the inflation risks, macroeconomic headwinds, while providing recession-proofing strategies for all investors out there. Just scan the QR code that you see on your screen right there to register a huge group of very influential speakers coming up there, as you can see on your screen. When we come back on the show, NASA defying countless delays and setbacks, finally, finally launching its Artemis rocket bound for the moon. We've got the full story and what's next coming up on the show, plus a relief rally or real move higher. We talk Chinese tech stocks and whether the sector has turned the corner in a meaningful or substantial way. And then later on, Apple looking to bring key parts of its supply chain a bit closer to Cupertino. Very busy hours still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to the show. After months of delays and setbacks, NASA finally launching its first Artemis rocket right around 1.45 a.m. Eastern time this morning from the Kennedy Space Center down in Florida. Now, today's launch marks the first leg of its expected 26-day journey to the moon and back. Our own Morgan Brennan joins us now with the latest there. Morgan, this is just the first of what's to be many Artemis missions to come How significant is the launch in and of itself? It's a historic launch. And Dom, to your point, fourth time's really the charm here. 1.47 Eastern time this morning, to be exact. This mega moon rocket built by NASA for NASA blasted off from Kennedy Space Center. Three, two, one. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. This ushers in a new era of American space exploration. It kicks off NASA's Artemis program 50 years almost to the month after the final Apollo moon landing. Artemis 1, as this uncrewed mission is known, it marks the debut of the agency's space launch system, the SLS. It is now the most powerful rocket ever flown and it carried to orbit NASA's deep space capsule. And that capsule, which is called Orion, is now going to embark on a 25-day journey around the moon before splashing down in the Pacific Ocean next month. It's going through tests before astronauts climb on board, ultimately as soon as 2025 to actually land on the moon. Artemis is a major program for NASA. It is a major program for the space sector. The agency's inspector general estimates that $40 billion has been spent so far from 2012 to 2021 and that that will balloon to $93 billion all in to actually put those boots on the lunar surface. The contractors, big contractors involved include Boeing, which is the prime for the SLS, Lockheed Martin, which makes Orion, Northrop Grumman, Aerojet Rocketdyne, Jacobs Airbus, and a number of others. SpaceX is also a contractor. Just yesterday received a follow-on contract for Starship, which is being developed as the lunar portion uh, of this program to take astronauts to the lunar surface. But, Dom, just to give a little more color to the launch itself, uh, some some drama leading into it with some technical issues around the fueling uh, and around the radar, which is part of the reason that this launch pushed back about uh, 45 minutes from its original go time. When it did actually get up in the air and lift off, Jody Gralnick, our producer on site at Kennedy Space Center right now, tells me 
it actually triggered car alarms uh, with the power, the thrust of this rocket lifting off. All right, so Morgan, I mean, as we're watching the videos of this uh, again, I mean, there's nothing like watching a, a rocket take off, a, a space exploration mission. It, it's what captivated so many Americans over the last several decades. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see this coming back. I, I, I guess now the, the conversation tilts a little bit more towards this part of this, I, I guess, Artemis program, which is NASA. So much of the conversation around space has revolved around the International Space Station over the last several years. A collaborative effort, a lot of countries participating This Artemis program, though, how much do you feel as though it marks the U.S. alone and its its, its attempts at supremacy for space all over again, right? This idea that we could be the ones that will now have the front or leading edge on that next leg of space travel and or possible colonization down the line. That's right. So I I think there's two points to that. The first is, yes, this marks a shift from what has been focused on low Earth orbit uh, by NASA in the last several decades to go back towards deep space. We've been to the moon once. It's reestablishing that capability. And not only that, but this idea of, to your point, colonizing the moon or staying there uh, and being able to study it more closely, capitalize on resources and essentially make the moon uh, a stopping place, a a gas station, if you will, potentially for uh, trips to Mars and and beyond years into the future. Um, Artemis is not going to be, it's not expected to necessarily be a solely U.S. program uh, and, and mission, but it does speak to this race that's taking place. We talk about the competitiveness, the strategic competition between the U.S. and China here on Earth. That is something that is playing out uh, where the moon and where space is concerned as well. So uh, an extension, if you will, of those power competitions uh, that we see unfolding. It was the U.S. and Soviet Union decades ago, and today it's the U.S. and China. All right, Morgan Brennan, thank you very much for the latest on Artemis. We'll see you later on this morning. Still on deck for the show, this morning's big money movers and why cruise line stocks are set to open sharply lower, lower this morning, as you can see there. We'll be back after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's been a mixed picture for Chinese tech stocks this week following President Biden's meeting with China's President Xi Jinping at the G20 summit on Monday. The Crane Shares China Internet ETF is up over 11 percent this week, adding to a nearly 40 percent gain just this month. Meanwhile, names like Alibaba, JD.com and Meituan muted in overnight action after yesterday's very big outsized moves higher. This is all ahead of earnings reports for Alibaba and JD.com that are coming later on this week. So joining me now is Ben Harburg, managing partner at MSA Capital. Ben, we often turn to you for some color and context around this move here. We've spoken to you numerous times about whether the bottom is in for Chinese tech. Can it be investable again? Do you feel like we've seen some more data points that make that the case? Or is there still more downside to come? 
think in the short term, we have hit a bottom. Uh, the 24th of October was an irrational overreaction from Western markets, particularly around the outcome of the Central Party Congress. Uh, and, you know, on that day, I think I called bottom, at least for the interim. And uh, we've seen many stocks rise by 30 to 70 percent since then. Um, uh, we've seen also movements over the last few weeks that we anticipated um, as the government tries to now stabilize the economy now that all the political kind of um, battling is done under the surface. And so we've seen announcements around uh, the property space. We're seeing zero COVID rollbacks. Um, and I think things are generally on a positive trend. We could still be in for more turbulence as Western markets react to uh, evolutions on the ground, but it certainly feels more stable today than it did uh, three weeks ago. So, Ben, uh, I want to call your your attention and, and viewers and listeners on Sirius XM as well to some uh, late breaking news and some headlines crossing right now. This is coming from Reuters. Uh, the headlines say basically that the U.S. watchdog gained good access to audits of Chinese firm. That's per sources familiar the story says that U.S. regulators gained good access in their review of auditing work done on New York listed Chinese firms during a seven week inspection. Four sources with knowledge of the matter said a key step forward in resolving a longstanding bilateral dispute. Again, this is a Reuters report citing sources that is now propelled in the pre-market. Some of these U.S. listed Chinese tech stocks like NetEase, JD, Mechuan, others up in, in, in the markets. Do you believe as though, Ben, that this kind of improved transparency into the books, so to speak, the accounting and financials at Chinese firms could provide more clarity for investing going forward? Absolutely. This was an anticipated movement. We'd heard similar rumors uh, and reports over the last couple of weeks. The Public Accounting Oversight Board folks from the SEC were in Hong Kong doing an inspection that inspection wrapped up, uh, I believe, last week faster than expected. And we we were told it was satisfactory. That hopefully starts to diminish some of these threats that there could be mass delistings of Chinese companies uh, listed on U.S. exchanges and hopefully paves a way for future listings. We've essentially had a uh, an entire shutdown of U.S. Uh, listings for Chinese companies since the DDIPO in, in the middle of 2021. So a critical move. But again, part of those lists of actions that we expected to come uh, that were very much within the control of Chinese government regulators to improve conditions for global investors in the market. And Ben, it's not all, you know, rose colored glasses here. There, there are obviously reasons why the, the, the Chinese tech sector overall has been under pressure for the better part of the last year or two. Are there things that still worry you about investing in some of these Chinese tech stocks? Certainly. I mean, the um, you know, lack of clarity around the regulatory conditions uh, in the market continues to be pervasive. Um, there is still a, a, a broken sense of trust. And Western investors today, I think, don't believe they can trust the Chinese market. And that's going to take uh, years to rebuild in many instances to make China investable for many of those on the margins who don't have access to primary sources. Um, I'm also fearful of continued geopolitical risk, particularly as it pertains to the U.S. government. I think there's the potential for a looming um, U.S. capital ban into China, something that could come by an executive action in the coming weeks uh, that could affect the amount of capital coming into the Chinese market from the United States. Um, so those uh, those types of bilateral geopolitical risks are pervasive in Chinese technology, as we've seen coming out of, of U.S. essentially sanctioned type actions over the last uh, month uh, in the Chinese chip space. All right. Ben Harburg, MSA, with the latest set on the Chinese tech scene. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. 
On deck for the show, call it a Taylor Swift tech glitch as the pop star proves too popular. Yes, maybe not shocking there. Too popular for the likes of Live Nation and Ticketmaster. We'll be right back after this. Stocks looking to build on the Tuesday turnaround as investors gear up for another wave of retail data and earnings. Futures right now, their bid. The fallout from FTX's collapse growing as another lender finds itself on life support and new details emerge about Sam Bankman-Fried's race to keep his platform alive. And former President Donald Trump making it official, formally announcing his 2024 bid for the White House, vowing to make America great once again. It's Wednesday, November 16th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off this half hour with U.S. equity futures pointing to gains to build on yesterday's positivity. Right now, the Dow is implied higher by roughly 71 points, so modestly higher. The S&P implied higher by nine points, and the Nasdaq would get about a 25, 26-point bounce at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Now, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories and others. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Apple is reportedly set to shift its strategy for sourcing chips critical for its products. According to Bloomberg, the company will get the semis from a plant currently under construction in Arizona. That facility is expected to come online in 2024. The report adds that Tim Cook revealed the move during an internal meeting in Germany, adding that Apple would buy more European-made chips as well. Elon Musk offering a new date for the rollout of Twitter's revamped subscription verification service. Musk tweeting that Twitter Blue will roll out November 29th to make sure it is, quote, rock solid. The new date comes just a few days after Twitter paused the rollout and halted new signups amid a wave of accounts impersonating brands, celebrities and other high profile accounts. And Ticketmaster feeling the wrath of Swifties everywhere. The rush by fans to buy tickets for Taylor Swift's first tour in five years overwhelming Ticketmaster's website. Some users reporting apparent crashes or other issues with the site. The company owned by Live Nation says it will be modifying future rollouts, including rescheduling ticket releases, Dom. A lot of fans. Oh, try- yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of fans trying to sh- shake it off, so yeah. to speak. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Silvana, thank you very much for those headlines. Out of the retail sector as earnings season rolls on, Target set to report this morning before the opening bell on the heels of Walmart's stronger than expected third quarter results yesterday. Walmart shares, by the way, climbing in the yesterday session after the company raised its fourth quarter guidance and initiated a fresh $20 billion share buyback program. Wall Street looking to see if Target has been able to work through an abundance of extra inventory and lure in early holiday shoppers. For more now on what to expect, let's bring in Michael Lasser, equity research analyst at in hard lines, broad lines and food retail at UBS. Basically, he covers all the companies that we spend money at. Michael, we saw Walmart's results yesterday. Now, my understanding is that the full year outlook was raised because of the significant beat in this past quarter. But the fourth quarter still remains relatively unchanged. Is that, though, a positive that can carry through to the rest of retail? Well, Dominic, I think there are elements that will carry through to the rest of retail, but there are also elements for Walmart that it's just executing at a high level. And it's probably taking some market share, especially amongst the more affluent community of consumers. But with that being said, I do think 
Target's going to show progress both on the sales side as consumers rely on Target for household essentials and food products as well as other items. It'll have made progress with its inventory. It's it's always tends to be volatile around its print. I think if you take a, a intermediate to longer term view with the stock, it's going to be a good one to own into 2023. All right. So if this is that implies then that you likely have a favorable rating, possibly a buy on this stock. Is there anything catalyst wise that you would be looking for in targets results out later on this morning that you feel could give it the same kind of or similar price action to what we saw with Walmart yesterday on the heels of what it announced? Well, what the market's going to be looking for is a couple of things. One, how is it making progress with that inventory position? It came came into the quarter saying that it had $200 million to work through. We think it made good progress with that and likely will come into the fourth quarter in much better shape. Number two, how are all the different promotions that we're seeing across the retail industry already for the holidays going to impact Target's ability to compete there's a lot of concern out there that Target's going to have to lower its implied fourth quarter guidance just to reflect the intensely competitive environment. Our view is, look, if that's the case and it creates some volatility around the stock, it's just going to make a better entry point for what should be a very good name to own into next year. And Michael, before we let you go, this is the all-important entry into the holiday shopping season. So key for many retailers out there. Do you have a favorite if it is or isn't Target? Target's one of our top ideas. We also like uh, other defensive-oriented names like Dollar General, O'Reilly Automotive. We're in a very uncertain economic period. Our view is you want to take a more defensive posture uh, for at least the next six months because of all the pressure that's weighing on the consumer. All right. Michael Lasser at UBS with All Things Retail. Thank you very much, sir. All right, to a developing story this morning and what could be the next shoe to drop in the wake of the collapse of FTX. This amid new calls for crypto regulation in Washington, D.C. No surprise there. CNBC.com's Mackenzie Sagalos joins us now with the latest on what we can expect in the latest news cycle for FTX. Mac. Good morning, Dom. That's right. This morning, it is BlockFi that is reportedly preparing for a potential bankruptcy filing. This after the cryptocurrency lender halted withdrawals of customer deposits and acknowledged that it has, quote, significant exposure to the now bankrupt FTX and Alameda, though the firm stopped short of saying a majority of its assets are tied with FTX. Now, BlockFi is one of several companies that signed deals to be rescued by FTX over the summer after a sharp plunge in crypto prices. In July, BlockFi obtained a $400 million revolving credit facility from FTX and a debt deal that also gave FTX an option to purchase the company. Dom? All right. So, so, so Mac, we're also following reports that Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, as many people call him on social media, could be making his way back stateside of his own free will or by other means. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so Bloomberg is reporting both U.S. and Bahamian authorities are discussing the possibility of bringing Bankman-Fried to the U.S. for questioning, though no comment yet from any party involved, including the Justice Department in Washington and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. The report does make it clear, however, that these are only talks. No one has been placed under arrest or taken into custody. 
And of course, this comes as Sam Bankman-Fried and several remaining FTX employees have reportedly spent the last few days actually trying to raise money, as much as $8 billion from investors in the hopes of repaying FTX customers. All right, all right and Mac, and one more. Any new comments from lawmakers, regulators about all of this? It's a hot-button topic for much of Main Street America right now. Yeah, we are starting to hear some grumblings from Capitol Hill. Among those sounding the alarm are Senators Bob Menendez, Cynthia Lummis, and the Senate Banking Committee ranking member Pat Toomey, who says the ambivalence of some agencies has helped push crypto into foreign jurisdictions with weak or no regulatory regimes. And Federal Reserve Vice Chair for Supervision is also warning of the potential for, quote, systemic risk should the ties between the crypto world and more traditional corners of finance develop further. All right. The latest there with Mackenzie Sagalas. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, former President Donald Trump officially throwing his hat in the ring for a 2024 White House run. A look at what the MAGA platform will mean for the markets, the economy and more. But first, as we head out to break, a check on a few of this morning's big money movers. Shares of Tencent Music right now surging nearly 30 percent in Hong Kong, hitting the highest level since the company listed there back in September. That tracks the 31 percent gain in Tencent Music's ADRs or American Depository receipts yesterday after the Chinese streaming service reported better than expected third quarter results on an increase in ad sales and the number of paid users. 29 percent gain right now in Hong Kong. Advanced Auto Parts is slumping. The chain's third quarter earnings and revenues missing forecasts. Same store sales fell as it sold more of its cheaper in-house brands than national premium ones. AAP shares down 13%. And shares of Carnival are tumbling after the cruise line announced plans to raise more debt. Carnival will launch a sale of $1 billion in convertible notes that are due in the year 2027. Shares of rivals, Royal Caribbean and Norwegian Cruise Line also falling on that news. Carnival shares, though, down 11, 12 percent pre-market. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Former President Donald Trump officially launching his 2024 presidential campaign, telling would-be voters he's back to make America great again, again. The announcement comes just a week after Republicans lost key midterm races, prompting some in the party to blame President Trump for a lack of the red wave. Eamon Javers now joins us with more on the announcement and the potential for a MAGA makeover, so to speak. Eamon, is this make America great and glorious again? You know, it is, Dom. I mean, the former president who inspired a violent insurrection against Congress in order to maintain a grip on the presidency back in 2021 announced last night in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, uh, that he is going to be running again in 2024 to retain that office. The former president saying, as you point out, uh, his mission of making America great again is incomplete. Here's how he framed it last night. Our country was great. Our country's not great anymore. Our country's a laughing stock right now. But our country can be greater than it ever was before, by a lot. There will be more, much more to come in the months ahead. There are so many things we can do. Now, the campaign announcement was not ignored by the White House. President Biden is traveling overseas, but he issued a tweet last night in response to the former president's announcement uh, saying that Donald Trump 
failed America and releasing a video pointedly criticizing Trump's entire term in office uh, point by point from the current president of the United States. So clearly uh, at the White House, they are taking this as a political threat uh, to Joe Biden. Should Joe Biden decide to run again, that decision uh, has not been forthcoming yet. But the former president, Donald Trump, is a much diminished figure here, Dom. Uh, after those midterm elections that you point out, we even saw an announcement last night from his daughter, Ivanka Trump, who was a senior White House official in his first administration, uh, who said she will not be participating in politics this time around, Dom. So, Eamon, f- forget about President Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. President Trump faces a very staunch battle within his own party with regard to who's going to be the figurehead, the mantle bearer for the GOP in the coming presidential election. Can you take us through the competitive landscape there and just who becomes the biggest threat is maybe not the right word, the biggest competitor to former President Trump in the GOP? Well, look, at this point, Dom, you've got to say that Donald Trump would have to be the front runner uh, for the Republican nomination. I mean, he controls an enormous swath of the party. And the question is, can any other figure in the party challenge him for that head to head now that Trump is announced as a candidate? I mean, Ron DeSantis of Florida seems to be the most likely figure to have the political power to do that, particularly emerging from the midterms, relatively stronger than Donald Trump. You know, so many of Trump's uh, supported candidates did not make it over the finish line last week in the midterm elections. And a lot of Republicans across the party are saying, look, uh, this is a person who pushes candidates who are too extreme to win and cost us the midterm elections, where we had a real chance to take over both the House and the Senate. That didn't happen. Trump getting a lot of the blame for that inside the party. And I think the big question here, Dom, is what does MAGA mean these days, uh, particularly when it comes to business and corporate America? You know, is this a a MAGA movement uh, that views it as acceptable for a president of the United States to sort of bash individual companies, tell individual CEOs what to do? What do these culture wars uh, mean? mean in terms of gay rights and abortion and other things? What do those mean for profitability and corporations across the economy? A lot of people looking at this and wondering whether this Trump campaign will get the kind of corporate uh, and executive support that the last one did. I'm I'm glad you brought it up. Before we let you go, there has been a a lot of news, uh, many headlines with regard to those so-called, so to speak, mega donors in the Republican Party, those people, the captains of industry, big hedge fund people, Wall Street titans who have supported the GOP before, are there worries that they are tilting away from President Trump and that MAGA movement? Sure, absolutely. And we've got reporting to that effect on CNBC.com right now. Uh, there, there are worries among the Trump campaign uh, folks that, that he'll be, it'll be difficult for him to attract corporate donors. It was already difficult for him to attract corporate donors back in 2020, Dom. Uh, there were CEOs who supported uh, Trump last time around. A lot of the major public company CEOs had backed away from him by the time of the 2020 campaign. Uh, and the people who did tend to support him tended to be CEOs who either owned their companies outright or CEOs of private companies and founders uh, who had no board of directors to tell them what to do, or people who really controlled their board of directors and had a real handle on their companies. People at uh, the broader public, uh, publicly traded companies with active boards tended to not be in a position to support Donald Trump last time. I expect that'll be the same this time around, Don. All right. Eamon Javis with the latest there on former President Donald Trump's re-election bid for 2024. Thank you very much. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get to the trading day ahead and bring in Heather Brilliant, president and CEO of Diamond Hill. Uh, Heather, this is a situation where markets have rallied strongly in the last five to seven trading days. Do you feel like that means we should all get better about putting a shopping list together? <laughs> well, I don't know that that's what means we should get a shopping list together. I think we've had a lot of volatility this year, which creates tremendous opportunity especially for people with a little bit longer of a time horizon than the latest quarter. And I think that's really what creates the opportunity here, Tom. So if the opportunity is there, which parts of the market have become, in your mind, attractive given the recent sell-off? Well, let's start with financials. I think that's an area that's gotten hit pretty hard. And um, we think Live Oak Bank looks really interesting because it's actually a um, kind of a micro-cap company. It's just about a $1.5 billion market cap but uh, they've invested hugely in technology. They're actually the largest investor in, um, or I should say lender to small businesses um, by a long shot, more than 50% more than the next competitor. And they've, their technology investments mean they can really offer support to the small businesses that they provide loans to as well from a business perspective, um, like a business operations and planning perspective that I think other banks just really can't compete with as well in the long run. So you're getting a, a bank that is discounted because it's a bank and because it's working with small businesses. And certainly that's a challenged part of the economy in the short term. But I think in the long term, we all know that can really be the engine of a recovery. And um, they've invested in technology that you you essentially get access to at a very, very low downside. Now, now Heather, it's also retail earnings season. The tail end of any earnings season focuses on big names. Walmart yesterday. We got Target out later on today. What do you think the retail side of things looks like in your mind? And, and are there opportunities there? I do think there are opportunities there, but I think that things could get worse before they get better. And you have to go into some of these situations knowing that. Um, you know, one company that reported yesterday that um, I thought we might talk a little bit about, too, is Home Depot. Home Depot is, um, you know, clearly in the retail space, although interestingly, um, has a much bigger market share with the pro home builders than um, than its biggest competitor, Lowe's. And so we think Home Depot looks pretty interesting because there's an opportunity to for the market to, to be concerned about what's going on with interest rates, that home building will slow down or that people will stop investing in their houses. But I think that's a pretty short term concern when you consider the quantity of underbuilding that we have experienced as uh, across the U.S. over the last decade plus, really since the financial crisis. And um, we've had so many more home for home formations than we have had. Uh, the ability to you know build enough houses to to meet that demand that I think in the long run housing demand is um, really a a great backdrop for a company like Home Depot, and I should mention too that Home Depot has um, a, a great focus on return on invested capital. Their sales per square foot is materially higher than their their closest competitor, and um, so there's some kind of fundamental things about Home Depot itself that we think are really interesting. All right couple of big picks there from Heather Brilliant at Diamond Hill. Thank you very much, Heather. Have a great day. Thanks, Tom. You too. All right. That does, us, that does it for us here at Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now indicating some modest gains at the opening bell. The Dow implied higher by roughly 50 points. Worldwide Exchange will be back tomorrow. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.